Acts chapter 5. A church on the go. When God says go, that's what we're going to talk about. It's going to be a rough day today because you have me in Sunday school, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. It's to get ready for a long day. We're going to talk about go. And then what, now, why these passages are cho- chose them because they all have that word in it. I'm going to say it in the morning message, but the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, have what I call macro commissions. The big go, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But Acts is got what I call micro commissions, little go. It's like in the gospels before Jesus leaves to go back to heaven, it's, it's just like you're on the zoom out picture, if you can imagine that. It's like Google Maps, you're seeing the earth from the moon or something. Go and reach the whole world. So it's got this all-encompassing vision, this big, huge go and then you get to Acts, and there is no great commission other than Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, you can see it. But, but when you talk about go, it's kind of like it, now it starts to zoom in when you're going to really do it. And it zooms in to how, we, how you do that. And in chapter 1 through 7 in Acts, it's kind of zooming in on Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, it zooms in on Samaria. And then after Saul of Tarsus becomes a believer, chapter 9 and following, it kind of zooms in on the rest of the world one piece at a time. But it's kind of like you have this big picture and then all of a sudden, and you get, how does it happen? And, and I love these passages because the one, the morning service and evening service are about one person being used to help out and reach one other person. But what an impact that has. And so it's kind of like going to all the world and then, then it also means Zoom in, go into your world. And that's what really we see happening today. And that's how I want you to see it. Because sometimes you can get, lo- you know, the forest can lost with the trees. I mean, you hear the Great Commission, go into all the world. And you go, all the world? I live in Hamilton, New Jersey. It's not like I'm, you know, going to be in Australia tomorrow or something. And you kind of get lost in saying, like, that's such a big thing. What, how could I possibly have any influence, impact for that? But, you know, that's why Acts zooms in and says, oh, you do. You really do. Because you can do it right here. Locally, and, and that's one of the principles I want to get across, is that as you're faithful to go locally, God uses it globally. And you're going to see that in our passages today. Our text is uh, Acts 5. I'm going to give you all three of them. We're not, we're not going to touch all three of them, though. Acts 5 and verse 17. We're still in the Jerusalem section, right? So this is very local for them. Um, but the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, you can see later that the apostles are going to be filled with the Spirit. So you can see the difference in, their, in the leadership. One's filled with jealousy because the apostles are popular, because God's using them to heal people and such, and everybody loves them. And they're filled with jealousy about that. But later the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit. Quite a contrast. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, prominent role in the next few chapters, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And said, here's our word, see, go. And the word go that were, is the same one used in the Great Commission in the Gospels is used here. But again, on the micro level, go and stand in the temple 
and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. This must have been a shocker. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. That had to be Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would, what this, what this would come to. Some came and told them, "Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people." Then the captain, with the officers, went and brought them, but not by force. They were all afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem. See there? They filled with jealousy, but the Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine and the teaching of the apostles. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter said to the apostles, or Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged. See, in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care. What are you about to do with these men? For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. And this is a guy who claimed to be a Messiah. Okay? Rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. In other words, it was destroyed. It amounted to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean, another fake Messiah, rose up in the days of the census people after him. In other words, he's saying, hey, we've had, we've had uh, fake messiahs before. And they drew a crowd, and they tried to fight. They didn't win, and it got stamped out. So this is probably not going to be any different. So why get yourself all messed up about it, right? He says, in the days of the census, drew some of the people away after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, I'm alone, for good, this is great words. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called the apostles, they beat them. This is minor flogging for a minor punishment. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Left the presence of the council rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That he is real. He's not a fake Messiah. He's the real one. So let me put it in contrast. Let me actually just have you turn a couple other pages. The other one we're going to look at this morning is chapter 8 and verse 26. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, and there it is again, go. It's a micro-commission. And he's going to reach down near Gaza, and he's going to evangelize the Ethiopian eunuch. Same wording, chapter 9. Ten, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. Very, very responsible, I mean, very normal phrase all throughout the Old Testament. Moses said it, Abraham said it, Isaiah said it. When God speaks to you about what he wants you to do and he has a mission for you to do, this is the response that you're available The Lord said to him, now these are the same phrase used, I just told you back in 8.26. Rise and go. There it is, micro-commission. And he tells him exactly down to the detail about where to go, what to do, and how he is going to help establish the Apostle Paul and get him on his feet spiritually, get going. So those are the three texts we're going to look at. Those are the micro ones. So let me just unpack this one a little bit more for you today. Four observations really I want to make about this text is the phrase in chapter 5 and verse 20, if you're taking notes, chapter 5 and verse 25, and 542. You can't help but read this text and realize it takes place, the phrase is, in the temple. Luke wrote two volumes, you know that, his gospel and then Acts. And you can... Read for yourself, at the end of chapter 24, after Jesus has ascended and given the commission and tell them to be witnesses, where, do they, where does the book end? They are in the temple, worshiping, praising God, and teaching. So the book, the first volume, ends up in the temple. It's not a surprise. The second volume starts in a very similar place in the temple. It's a lot taking place there because they're basically taking up where they left off. And what we are told to us at the beginning of Luke is that Acts is a book of, the beginning of Acts, I'm sorry, that Acts is the continuation, the apostles doing what Jesus started, all right? So from the very beginning of the book of Acts, we find this is a Jesus-shaped and a Jesus-centered mission. And what they learned from him and the model and pattern that they got from him is going to be continued in the book of Acts. And in our chapter, Previous to us, we didn't look at it today, but when they start preaching, which got them in trouble the first time in Acts 4 and why we have Acts 5, is because Peter and John were preaching and they were healing and they healed this guy who had been blind for so long. I'm sorry, he'd been lame for so long he couldn't walk. And for four, he was 40 years old, seemingly from birth. And the Sadducees and Pharisees say that they knew that Peter and John were uneducated, untrained. They never had scholarly theological training, so to speak, by a rabbi. But they knew that they had been with Jesus. And that's the whole text is trying to get you to understand that they are acting like, speaking like, doing the things that Jesus did because that's what the book of Acts is about. So when they come into the temple, they're very bold like Jesus was. And they've healed this man and so forth and so on. This is right after the Ananias and Sapphira death story. And so we have that land side. But in the temple it says in 520 that here's what God tells them to do. Go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people the words of life. All right? 
So that's the first thing they're told. This is a command to go and to stand. Now, in the context, hear me out. Let me make a point for you. Is they are told to go and stand. Now, why is that important? Because the night before, they were in prison. And the reason was is because they were on their way to the temple in chapter 4, as I said, and they healed this guy. So what got him in trouble was healing someone like Jesus did in the temple and preaching like Jesus did in the temple. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, high priest family, we're mostly Sadducees, were very upset by it. Because obviously if you preach Jesus is the Christ, then the people who killed them are responsible, which was them. And they didn't like that. So imagine this. You go to prison for Jesus. Goes to all the trouble to send an angel of the Lord to get you out of prison. And you're not even out of prison, but a few hours. And what does he ask you to do? Go right back where you were and keep doing the same thing you did to get you in prison in the first place. And you said like, well, why would you get me? Why did that happen? Why would you do that? Let, let, me, let me ask you a little trivia question. Ready? There are three times in the book of Acts where God opens prison doors to continue the progress of the gospel. I've given you one. In chapter 5, can you name the other two? Sandy, give me one. Okay. Where? Yes, Philippi. Do you remember Acts what? Right, that's the same one that Sandy's talking about. Acts 16, verse 25. Paul and Silas, what? They're in prison singing praises to God after they've been beaten. They were beaten harshly and then put in stocks. Putting in stocks means you have your arms and your legs out. It's a very, very uncomfortable position, especially after you've been beaten severely, right? So they're sitting in these stocks, right? And in the inner prison, uncomfortable to say the least. But God has an earthquake happen. The prison doors open, right? But here's another, but they don't leave. But God does open the prison doors and eventually the jailer gets saved, right? And they, they get out of prison the next day, right? But God has the power to open the door because when he tells you to go, he also provides the power to make it possible for you to go, right? And do the things he wants you to do and calls you to do. What's the other one? Do you remember? Acts 5, Acts 16, it's in between. Sandy. Yes, Acts 12, Peter's in prison, and the next morning they're going to kill him, right? Remember, right after James was killed with a sword, they're going to do the same to Peter. And an angel of the Lord comes, and he thinks he's having a vision, but it's really a reality. And so the prison door is open, he leaves, can't believe it, he goes to the place, they knock the funny scene, the little girl comes to the door. Nobody believes it. They've been praying for him all night, but they didn't believe it happened. So those are three times. Now, so I tell you that to say, look, look, God and the progress of the gospel has power. He always has power behind it. But it's, watch, but his powers always suit his purposes. So sometimes God's purposes are to do miraculous things in the New Testament at times, show power that he can open doors. And here's why. Because prisons cannot thwart the gospel, right? Can I say it literally? Literally closed and locked doors 
are not an obstacle to God. They don't stop the gospel. Let me give you a quote. Paul is sitting in a prison cell, and he writes the book of Philippians, which is a prison epistle. And in chapter 1 of Philippians, in verse 12, he says, as he writes from prison, he goes, But the things that have happened unto me, i.e. prison, have happened unto the furtherance or the progress of the gospel. Now, how does he say that? How could you be in prison and have the gospel advanced? Well, he goes in the next six verses to tell you how. Because he had able to, the guards that were attached to him, every so many hours a new guard would come and they would be chained to each other for so many hours a day. And so he goes, I've been able to give the gospel to people. And the guard, he goes, now all the Praetorian guard has heard the gospel and some of them have come to faith in Jesus. And then he says, other people have heard that I'm in the prison and some of them are more bold to speak the gospel. Now some do it selfishly, he says, because they want to, you know, get all the glory and say, you know, they're doing more than I was doing and God must be, because you don't have to realize if you're a, a citizen in Rome and you, no matter what the reason is true or false, you're in prison, it's a great shame and dishonor. So people were probably going around saying, oh, Paul must be being cursed by God and he must have done something awful because God is letting his number one ambassador be in prison. So he must have fallen from grace, blah, blah, blah. And so Paul says some of them out of envy and some of them out of other reasons and motivations, he says, but some of them are just bold by, emboldened by my prison and my faithfulness to Christ. He goes, but either way, good or bad reasons, what does he say? Christ is preaching and in that I rejoice. So here's the thing. Sometimes when we do God's will and we go, we go with the gospel, sometimes that means that God empowers us to do great things. I don't know about you, but how much of a story is that? You go home and tell you, what have you been doing, Dad? You know, if they ever got to go home and some of them had families. Or you could tell people, you stood up and gave a message. You know, I was in this prison, and all of a sudden, boop, the door swings open. We walked out. The guards were asleep. They came back the next day. They were all still sitting there. The doors were locked, but we weren't in it anymore. I mean, how, they have to scratch their head like, well, how does that happen? I mean, those are great things to say. But listen, so God does powerful, amazing things when it comes to the gospel. But sometimes what? He swings doors open. But what else does he do? Well, he allows doors to stay shut. And I thought about that. So why does he sometimes let people out, but sometimes he allows people to keep be kept in? So what's the difference? How do I know? What's behind both of those methodologies? The of the gospel. Yes, the furtherance of the gospel. See, see, this is hard for us to grasp. You know why? Because we think that we're the center of God's attention. We think that our life and how nice it should be and how good it should be and everything should be fine. And that when I serve God, I mean, this is really an American mentality. That nothing's ever going to go wrong. That there aren't going to be any problems. But see, that's not, see, you're living in the wrong story if you think that. Now, See, sometimes God says, you go for me and do what I ask you to do and be a witness for me. I back it up with this kind of power. And sometimes that power is liberating power, emancipating, freeing power. I give you your freedom back and you're, you're going back to do more. And sometimes it's, no, I don't free you. And sometimes I don't change your circumstances. Instead, I just work through you in those bad circumstances, i.e. Paul and others, even in the book of Acts. 
So here's the deal. When you sign up to go and God says go and you say yes, you're going to say, God, I'm living your story your way. That's hard for us. That's hard for us. Because we may not want to have that happen to us. And can I say even harder, probably, for us to say that about our children? See, it's not easy for parents today, American parents, if they're not careful and you're living in the wrong story, you want your ch- children to grow up and to be a good Christian, but not that good. And I don't want them to leave. I don't want them to go to another country where I only see them every couple, three years or something. And it, see, that's, that's the thing. We, we live in the wrong story. We won't want to go because we love telling the stories and everybody tells the story. Missionaries had this happen and the whole village came to Jesus and so, but. Then there's also stories where it didn't, and they gave their lives, and they died at 29 years old, and we wonder what happens. Well, what happens is the furtherance of the gospel happens. And God's purposes are not always the way that we would see them. And that's why Isaiah says that God tells us that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Because what God seems fit to use in his sovereign pleasure to bring people to himself, and to reach the nations is oftentimes far different than what we might think so. So when the, going back to my original premise, see, here they are. They've been released from prison, and here's the first thing God says. Go stand back where you were. Go back to the place that you got in trouble and do similar or same things. So go stand. And then it says in verse 25, if you look down there, And someone came and told them, if you don't think this point I'm making is important, the word is behold, look. Can you believe this? In other words, we'd say today, look. The men whom you put in, and this is the key for, listen, listen, God is making a statement, right? Look, the men whom you put in prison, you put them in prison behind bars. What are they doing? They are, same thing God told them to do. They are standing in the temple and teaching and people. It's like deja, we just did not, we just put them in prison so they couldn't do this. And now here we are the next day, they're not in prison anymore and they're doing exactly what we told them not to do. See, can I tell you, that's what God's about. That's what he uses his power for. That's why he answers prayer. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced so many Christians and people who follow Jesus or say they are, are disillusioned with their prayer life and they're disillusioned with God doesn't seem to do anything and answer my prayers and I don't see that power in my life and I ask, you know, and I don't see things happening and I, you know what? Because you're living in the wrong story. You can't live in your own story then ask God, see, the Bible, prayer, resources, all of those things God allows us to have and use for his purposes, not yours. So when you pray for your purposes and your purposes only, he's not that interested. See, what he's interested in is your money and your time and your life and your prayers and your priorities and your for his story. And that's why you see the amazing things happen in the early church. And that's why, to me, you see the stories of them sharing everything together. And nobody said their stuff was their own. Not because it was some communal cult. 
No, it was a mentality that said, you know what matters? My money matters for the gospel. And if the gospel is better furthered by giving it to someone who has need than me having more stuff, then that's so be it. Why? Because their whole mentality was, this is why we exist. This is why we're here. This is what we're for. And see, we can't say, hey, here's what the main thing is. Me to advance in my job and my kid to be great at sports and, you know, and, and then have all these degrees. Not because any of those things are wrong. They just can't be the center by which we build our lives. And so here's what he says. You know what matters most? Not your freedom. Not the advancement of your purpose or yourself or any of your agendas. What matters most is mine. And I'll open prison doors and put you right back in the same spot. Because I want everybody to know that this is what I'm really mainly about. So 520 says, they're in the temple. And God says, go stand. He opens the doors puts them back in the temple, and they stand in the temple teaching and preaching. He says it, now watch, here's the hard part. To me, the culmination of this little, this little observation, verse 42 at the end of the chapter is why I read it. So you're in the temple one time, you get released miraculously, you go back in the temple a second time, and that you might say, wow, okay, then they got beat a little bit more, Right? So they get beat a little bit more. They're scolded even stronger. Don't say anything in his name anymore. The first time they were not beaten, just put in prison. They get out of prison. They say it again. They get beaten. So it's getting a little more severe each time. And I don't know if they knew it, but remember, they only beat him. The reason they didn't kill him was because Gamaliel spoke up and God used his words. So you could, what, what you see in the passage is this trajectory of escalation of the wrath and anger of the religious leaders, just like it was with Jesus. Every time he spoke and every time he did a little bit more and healed someone, they got a little more jealous, a little more angry, and it keeps going up and it's ramping up and up until the point where, like Jesus, they want to kill him. So what would you think? These are the apostles, the people Jesus spent his life investing in for three plus years. These are the people who he is going to use as the foundation to reaching the world. Wouldn't you do everything you could as God to preserve all of them as much as you possibly could? You would think that, right? And you would think that they had the mentality to say, okay, wow, we did this once, got thrown in prison. We did this twice, now we got beaten, so we'll cool it for a while. And we'll go off and do something else or wait till things calm down a little bit. Not the case. 42 says, ready? Let me read 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Prison and beating are dishonorable because they're public events. And watch this now. In, in, in the ESV, it's every day. New King James and King James is daily. And the, just a good word study through the book of Acts. Go see what they were doing daily. It's a very good one. But get the idea. Every day. See the little phrase the third time? In the temple. I don't mean to belabor this. In the temple, imprisoned. In the temple, beaten. So what you might think would be the next step if we did in the temple again. We're going to probably be in more trouble than ever before. But what do they do? They go back to the temple. And how often do they go back? What's the two words? Every day. Every day in the temple and then privately on a more small group level, so to speak, house to house 
And here's what they're telling you. See, you get the message? It doesn't mean that they just didn't stop. Listen, they didn't stop. They didn't stop. They didn't cease, even though they knew the consequences. Even though they knew what was going to happen to them or could happen to them. They didn't cease. Because the idea is, oh yeah, most people would have stopped. Most people would have said, hey, you know, strike one, strike two, those are on me. But am I really going to go back a third time? And they said, here's what they would say. Yeah, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, and every time. Because I'm going back. Every day, it says, in the temple. And preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I'm not stopping that. Can I tell you, see, why do I be late and go through all that? Because when it's not so simple, it says, God says go, because you only have 30 minutes or so in your preaching, right? So I'm going to tell you, God says go, and you ought to go. I mean, I mean, I know, don't go home after this, because I just told you that, because that's all you need to know today. But, but my frustration is sometimes, is that I tell you, this is what God says, and you should say, well, okay, then I'll do that. It's just, it, you know what it is? It isn't that simple. It is, it is that simple, but it is, you know what, it's a mentality. Because what I'm telling you today is you need to go, and, and, it, and it's not for this purpose. Well, I should be a guilt trip because when I hear Pastor Walker say, tell me the most memorable time that you've witnessed to somebody and maybe someone got saved, and you go, because eh, I don't have any. I don't have any. And you might say, my whole Christian life, and I'm such and such an age, I've never led one person to Jesus. Never once. And you might think that, oh, you're preaching this because then I'm on this huge guilt trip and I've never done this. And so, wow, it's awful. If you, if, you, if you have some guilt today, I don't know that that's a bad thing altogether. But that's not my primary purpose, really. My purpose is to say that going is a mentality. It's not going to happen I'm undermining my own self here. It's not just going to happen because the pastor tells you in a Sunday school lesson or a sermon one time, hey, you should go and you're not. God can change and use his word. I'm not limiting the transforming power of what he can do because he can totally revolution. But most times what happens is you have to see the mentality is, here's the mentality of these people. See, I go because he told me to go stand and it didn't go very well. He opens the prison's doors and so, okay, that didn't go well. Let's try somewhere else, something else. No, I'm going. Now, second time I go, I get beat this time. It's not good to sit in a prison. It's worse to be beaten, right? And so you think, oh, prison beating. So that didn't work out. So I'm not crazy to go back there. They do. How do you do? Where do you get that idea? Because someone just told you to go. No, Jesus told them to go into all the world because three years previous to that, he had put them a mentality into it. And then he gave them not just lectures, he gave them labs because here's the truth, really. Jesus was going. He was always going. He's going over to places like where the maniac of Gadara was and he was going to sit in Samaria. Instead of going around, he went through So here's what happens. They have a mentality of seeing it take place. That's why I always, I I mean, I like to tell you, you ought to go down and work at the shower trailer. You ought to take a service sometimes and go down to Mosaic. And what you ought to do is, and why I asked Pastor Dave to say, 
last past week, I go to Dunkin' Donuts and I sit there and I'm hoping that I, why? Because it's not going to start because you are guilty and see, I'm going to do one thing. Oh, I feel better. No, what, what, what Jesus is asking and what I'm asking all of us to do together individually is a mentality. Not a church organizes it and so I jump in with them and we go down somewhere on a mission trip and we do it and I felt good for a week. That was awesome. Those are great things, but that's not what I'm asking. And that's not what the Bible's asking, although we take those trips. The Bible's saying, go as a lifestyle. As a lifestyle. And I'm not, you know, not looking to pick, I mean, what's the word of elevate anyone? That's, I talked to Brian. I love talking to Brian because Brian says, oh, you know, I was at the boss and then, and then I was in the diamond with a jeweler store and then I was over here in the cab and I, and I know people, and Brian's just in our class and I'm looking at him, so I'm seeing. That's what I'm talking, it's, it's about, see, it's not an event only or about not solving your guilt problem. It's about why don't I go? Why isn't this who I am all the time? Why not? Why isn't this? And that's what Jesus is saying. Go. Go if it doesn't work out. Go if the opposition is there. Go if it doesn't bear fruit and when it does bear fruit. Go when I release my power in this way and if I don't release my power in that way. Go. Here's what I've told you. Go. And we can get into, and we will a little bit, when you go like Philip did and he talks to Ethiopian eunuch who is not versed in scripture. He didn't grow up in Israel in the Bible. He doesn't know all that much about it. He's asking questions from the Isaiah scroll. He talks to him a certain way, right? And I call that a positive approach he gave him. He answered his questions. He, but when he talks to religious people like the Jewish leaders and stuff, he isn't positive. He's negative. He says, basically, Jesus is the Christ and you hung him on a tree and you murdered the Holy One. I mean, it's a different approach. And we can learn all those things. But the question is, none of that matters if you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. And so they go, and they go back, and they keep going, despite what happens to them and the consequences. It costs them things. So we keep going, even if it costs us money, even if it costs us time, even if we have to just rearrange our priorities, even if we have to rearrange our schedule and our calendar. We keep going. Why? Because that's the commission. That's the commission on a big scope and on a little scope. That's, that was my first observation. I only had three more to go. Number two, going is a matter of obedience. Chapter 5 and verse 29. Can I show it to you? They strictly charged them, verse 28, not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. In other words, here's what it says. God says this, but we're saying this. Peter and the apostles answer in the famous phrase, what? Going and teaching about Jesus, is it optional? Is it just for pastors and missionaries, really elite, sold out, special forces Christians or not? He says, going is not optional because we must, see the word? Obey God. See, Going is what God has said to us to do. So me not going cannot be watered down the significance of not going, not having this mentality, cannot be watered down by my too busy comments 
or I, listen to this. I'm going to say it pretty straight to you. Or because I have a family comment. Because uh, Peter had a wife, and we don't ever hear about her in Scripture. Now, not everybody forsakes everything to follow Jesus. That's not true of everyone. But the reality is, is that go is still the command for all of us. And so there are times where I won't see my family as much. I've gone on many mission trips for weeks at a time and have never seen my family at that time. And otherwise, if you're going to be a missionary, you're going to probably go and see your family not very much at all sometimes. So here's the thing. Go is a command and I have a choice to obey or not. That, that's the reality of it. Teaching and preaching in the temple when you're told to go was a matter of obeying what God said. And truthfully, it's what Jesus said. He didn't give options where he says, go into all the world if it's easy, convenient, and you got time on the weekends. That's not what it says. He says to go. So it's a matter of obedience. Now, I want to show you something in the text. He says, it's a little inclusio or bracket, Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging... This is the negative presentation. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is... Watch. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those... Circle it again. Who obey him. See, God fills us with the Spirit and gives us the ability to witness for him and to keep standing and keep going back and bearing fruit for him because we have obeyed him. So there's this tension a little bit. See, it is a duty. It is a matter of obedience. It is God said it, I do it. But it's not just God said it, I do it. And then it's, it's a God said it and I do it and I want to do it and becomes my lifestyle and my mentality. It's what I'm all about. It's what everything else in my life circles around, Right? Because that was true for Jesus. So it's a matter of obedience. And let me go a little further. It's true of people who have movements and causes that aren't even Christian. In the two historical parts following in the next paragraph, Theodos, he says, is one of these guys, and the Egyptian guy, I think it was Judas, or the Galilean, Judas the Galilean, in both of those texts, it says, if I can find it, let me see here. Um, he said, for before these, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, a number of about 400 men. They joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And then it was the other guy um, after him, Judas the Galilean, rose up. And since they drew some people away after them, and he perished, and all followed, and they were scattered. In both of those instances, you have people who had a leader... The leader told them to do this, and they obeyed. Now, it cost them their lives. And, and, and watch this. For a cause that wasn't even right. It was a cause that was a lie. So here you got people. Listen to this. You got people, and I'm going to modernize it, 21st century. You got people who are Jehovah Witnesses. You got people who are Mormons. You got people who are, and you name the cult or the false religion, and, and you know what you have? You got these people are going and obeying more than we do at times. Why? They, they have a lie. It's false. It's damning people to hell. But they go, and they sacrifice, and they spend, and they do 
But we have the truth. But we don't go. It's almost mind-boggling, isn't it? It's a matter of obedience. And third observation, and I already touched on it, so I'm just going to review shortly. Nothing can stop us from doing what God wants us to do when and if we do go. And he uses prison doors cannot stop them. So if God says, don't worry, nobody and nothing can stop my plan. So this is where we get our confidence. We get our confidence. I'm going to say it this morning. We get our confidence in the divine purposes of God, not in how well our circumstances are going. So we go and we go places and to certain people, even though it may be risky at times and may cost us in all myriads of ways. We go not because it may or may not work out or may or not work out for our benefit or health or safety. We go because God says, this is my purpose, and we believe that, and God's going to accomplish it. I don't know how, but I do know that he will, it says. And so the divine purposes are, in the text, he says that if, this is Gamaliel's words, if it is of men, it will come to nothing. And the more and more I read scripture, I hate that little word, nothing, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I don't want nothing in my Christian life. I don't want Faith Baptist Church to have, be a nothing church. And how do we measure our success, whether we've done something, right? That something has to be measured, right? Based on what matters most to God. Are we going? Because there's no growing without going. And so here's what he says. Here's what measures success. Are we going to do that? So if it's of men, it will be destroyed. It will come to nothing. Watch. But even Gamaliel knows. But if it is of God, and the two prepositions of are words of sources. In other words, if the whole thing comes men's ideas, powers, methods, ideas, it's going to be nothing. And we've already seen two examples, Judas and Theodos. That was nothing movements. They got destroyed because that wasn't of God. But he says, you don't have to worry about the apostles. If it is of God, and God's the source of it, listen to this. If God's with you, and he's ordained it, and he's purposing it, and he's behind it, you can't overthrow it. You can, do every, you can throw people in prison. You can beat them. You can put them in stocks. And some of them you could even kill. But you're not doing anything to stop it. Do you hear what he says? You can't overthrow it. Why? Unless you be found to fight against God, you think you can fight God and win? Do you see, what, see what's behind the go? <laughs> really? You see what's behind the go? God is behind the go. God is behind the go. And he is. That's why we can go to those places and keep returning to them. And that's why we can spend our money. And that's why you keep talking to people in the jewelry store, at the gas station, and more than just instantaneous events that we take time to build relationships with people and have them over to dinner and have them at our house and why we talk to them about Jesus and we keep talking. I'm talking to someone right now. I've gone out to lunch with them six times and I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm thinking six more, maybe 10 more. I don't know. Why do you keep going out to lunch and spending time and money and you know why? Because it's a mentality. We go. We go. I don't control the fruit. I don't control the circumstances. But I know God controls them all. And his divine purposes will stand. And you can't overthrow it. You can't stop it. 
because you can't fight against God. And lastly, can I tell you the results? Two minutes. At the end of chapter 5, in all of that, chapter 6 starts with this. Now, in verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were in, Watch. See, ready? I, I've underlined my Bible. Increasing in number. See, because they were going, chapter 5, they were growing. Gospel growth. Not just people coming in and getting... No, growth. Meaning people saved, baptized, added to the church. See, because they were going, chapter 5... They are growing, chapter 6. Let me show you this morning's. Chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria. All throughout chapter 8. Ananias, God tells him to go and to work with Saul, Tarsus, right? And they go. But watch how chapter 8 ends. All these believers go to, Philip goes to Samaria. He goes to reach the Ethiopian eunuch who goes back to Africa. I'll tell you more about that later. But the chapter almost ends with this word. It says, chapter 8 and verse... No, I'm sorry. Am I in the wrong book here? Yep, nope. Not chapter 8 at the end. Chapter 9 at the end. Yep, sorry. Wrong chapter. 931, not 831. So the church, this is after Philip goes, Ananias goes... Ethiopian eunuch goes, Saul goes. So the church throughout, here's the, even names the regions to put it all together for you. Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, let's say, it multiplied. So all the going results in growing. It's not a hard formula because here's the reality. If there's no going, there's no growing. And we're not growing just to say how many we have in our church. This is growing so we're adding worshipers to the glory of God for his kingdom. So going isn't optional. It's not optional for any of us. It's part of a mentality. It's part of what we are to be as Christians. Question is, I want you to ask yourself all day, are you going? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful to us. Father, we need to go this week outside these walls, outside our homes, outside our comfort zones. We need to go because that's what you've commanded. It is an act of obedience, but it's a mentality. It's a lifestyle. May we go and may we grow as a result because it's all for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.